Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Hollywood comedy icon Ivan Reitman died over the weekend at the age of 75. We spoke in 2016 when the Kennedy Center awarded the Mark Twain Prize to Bill Murray, who starred in Reitman classics like Meatballs, Stripes, and Ghostbusters. What can I say about him, right? I think he's just really smart. And, you know, you just never know what's going to happen. And that's part of great humor, right? It's keeping it fresh, never doing the same thing at the same time. He's respectful of the script, and at the same time, he always feels that he can top it. He's always looking to keep things changing up so that a director has the, you know, the most choices to make uh, for the final film. I was just talking about this with, uh, you know, with Sigourney yesterday, and she said, you should talk about this because it was such a great moment. When he first comes into Sigourney's apartment, Dana Barrett's apartment, in the very first Ghostbusters, and, and the scene didn't seem to be working. And I remember just yelling out to Bill, Bill, we need something here. Can you do something? And he, he walks into the apartment, he turns, and he sees this piano right beside him, and he goes, they hate that, <laughs> just out of his head. And it just changed the whole character of the scene, and it became this really teasing seduction for the whole piece. He can be big, too. You know, no, it's a question of what the film calls for, you know. He's made these great speeches that, uh, you know, where he plays at the top of his range as well, and it's part of the joy of watching him. Now, I know in uh, in Ghostbusters, there's the the line, you know, it's it's if someone asks if you're a god, you say yes, and then by by uh, Groundhog Day, he he said I'm I'm not the god, but I'm a god. Where is he in the you know comedy god level tonight? Well, he's at the very top, <laughs> as you may have heard. He's receiving the Mark Twain <laughs> Prize for comedy, and. I don't think anyone deserves it more. <laughs> do you have a, a, a favorite role of his that, that you didn't produce? Well, I do love Harold's, Harold Ramis' uh, Groundhog Day. I think he's spectacular in it. Uh, I'm talking about um, <laughs> Bill yeah. and, and really, frankly, everybody else. What made Bill and, and Harold Ramis, the late, so great together? Because you worked with Ramis on Animal House, too, right? Before, but that wasn't with Bill Murray. But what was it that, that Harold, do you think, brought brought the best out of Bill? Well, the, they were just really good together. I, I was very lucky. I got to work with all these guys, even before Saturday Night Live and before all the movies. I had a show called The National Lampoon Show that had Harold and Bill and John Belushi and Gilda Radner and, 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 um, and Bill's brother, Brian Doyle Murray. And... So I had a really good sense of what they could do, and Harold wasn't very well known uh, by the time we did Stripes. And I told Bill, I think I'd like to pair the two of you together. I was totally confident in how well they would play together, and it turned out good. And he's not the only one that's been working with family members, and you, you got your son in this too. Jason is an awesome director on his own right. How proud are you, just on a personal note, of, of the whole father-son thing? Well, I'm really proud of Jason. I, I have an extraordinarily talented daughter as well, Catherine. And uh, who's now directing in Canada, 
and uh, also starring. And so, look, you, you always hope that your children turn out well. So far, thank God, it has happened. I also spoke with his son, Jason Reitman, director of Juno and Up in the Air, when he brought his political flick, The Front Runner, to the 2018 Middleburg Film Festival in Middleburg, Virginia. And we're here with Jason Reitman, Helen Estabrook, Jay Carson, Matt Pye. Um, we're here talking The Front Runner, uh, the great new movie starring Hugh Jackman, uh, the Gary Hart story, uh, 1988 presidential campaign, thought he was the front runner, and a lot, I like how you say a lot can happen in three weeks, and then the title text fades away and we get the title. That was, that was a nice little touch. Um, let's start with the writer. Um, when, when you're penning the book, when did you stumble across the story? Um, I know we were all kind of a young age when that actually happened, but <laughs> when, when, did, when were you like, oh, I gotta, I gotta write this thing? It is a strange decision, and I, I uh, started in about the end of 2002. I was writing with the New York Times Magazine. I met Hart. I was doing a piece on him. Uh, found him to be compelling, but more than that, as I sort of thought about it, chewed over it in the years afterward, thought that there was maybe a connection we'd missed between that moment and what had happened afterward, uh, and uh, decided I wanted to write a book about it. And um, it, it, is, it, it was a sort of counterintuitive idea, but I think events have borne out some of that relevance, and we all got together and worked on the movie, and, and, and I think it's, um, you know, you know, it's a story people need to hear. Absolutely. And talk about sort of the powerful moment in history that this was for for journalism, but the press, politicians, I mean, um, and I like that you included some of the things in the movie about how, you know, some callbacks to LBJ and Kennedy and said, you're, you're going to have to have a long line of women coming in here to pay no attention. And then to see where we are today, why do you think this is a unique moment in time that, that this was the time that was finally the reckoning for this? Why in 1988, as opposed to when the 60s, it was, you know, hush hush. And now it's almost like, We've fallen even farther where now it's just like there gets away with it now. But why do you think there was a unique moment there in time where that finally was a breaking point? For the political question, I'm going to pass this on Go to on. our political expert, Jay This movie is about a moment in 88 when everything changes. You have the confluence of a number of events that happened that, that caused the press and the operatives and the candidate to behave, and, and the voters, to behave in a completely different way. Um, mostly it's a, it's a gripping human story that we, you know, that captures, uh, captures a moment where a guy goes from going to be the next president and then five days later he's never going to work in politics again. I mean, a number of things had changed at that point, but one of the reasons we were drawn to this is because there's, we did, we have captured a moment here where there's a through line to what is going on in politics today. And we all came to this looking at the system and saying, this is really messed up. This is completely broken. How did we get here? Um, and we tell a story of how we got here. I want to know, um, you, you mentioned it briefly in the Q&A last night, but um, the decision, you said you wanted it to be sort of not chaotic, but we're the viewers making choices right away, not just a movie you can sit back and just passively let it wash over you, that you want to just actively engage us. Um, take, me, take me into the, the decision behind that and sort of planting the microphones on everybody. Uh, decide to go the, the Robert Altman approach on that one. Hmm. Uh, well, there's a, there was a moment early on uh, where uh, Matt, Jay, and I all decided that we wanted to make a movie that felt and looked uh, and sounded real. Uh, that this was a story in which we want the audience to be uh, to feel as though they had just been dropped on the campaign trail or dropped into the kind of newspaper offices um, and forced to make the same decision cinematically that we were asking them to make philosophically. Uh, what is important? What is, is entertaining? And what is actually relevant? You know, the same questions that we're asking ourselves all the time today. Uh, 
And when we look to filmmakers like Robert Altman and Michael Ritchie, who you know we're all big fans of, and you know we watched The Candidate very early on and, and, and looked to that film almost as a as a north star in its tone and its style and its shooting preference. We thought we need to somehow write this in a way so that characters are always talking over each other, and visually we shoot this uh, where there's always more than one thing to look at. In fact, uh, this was kind of a general rule for us on this film was if only one thing is happening, then we're doing something wrong. And we almost we got to a point where you could just feel it. It's like, oh, something's not wrong. Oh, something's not working right. Uh, not enough's happening, and then, you know, you, you know, if, if someone's uh, getting to make their, their a speech, you know, the way someone normally does in a political movie, it's like better better interrupt him with the pizza guy right now uh, to make this feel real. So the audience experience, hopefully, is that uh, there's a lot coming at them, and they are forced to make a choice. Okay, what conversation do you want to listen to? And that starts with the kind of sprawling two and a half opening, uh, two and a half minute opening shot and goes all the way down to the last frame of the film. Yeah, explain that last image. Uh, um, you went into the Q&A, but how you have the, um, yeah, let me see. So, so you have the, um, the uh, husband. You have to ruin the, the movie? No, <laughs> how are we going to say this? Um, right? Yeah, let's not. Let, the final image allows us to, um, uh, I mean, makes our eye look on the left. Yeah, yeah, spoiler alert. I'm trying to talk about how they're in silhouette, you know what I mean? And then the yeah. TV on the right. Is there a way we can do that without let spoiling it? Okay, okay, let okay. me try. Okay, uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about Rosebud for a second. Um, Rosebud's a slid, kids. Whoa! Uh, that still feels too soon. Uh, so the, the closing shot of the movie uh, is of Hugh Jackman and of Vera Farmiga. And you're watching... A marriage try to hold on, uh, hold on in the midst of a hurricane, and simultaneously you're watching a man leave politics. Uh, and we're contrasting these two images simultaneously uh, and asking the audience, you know, what do you want to look at? What do you want to listen to? Uh, and again, philosophically, this is the question that we're asking the audience the entire movie. Uh, we're, we're curious people. That's how we are by nature. There, there's a reason why we enjoy stories. And the heart story. Um, makes for a good one. It's cinematic. There's a reason why Matt Bai was drawn to this, you know, uh, from the get-go. There's a reason why Jay Carson immediately said, man, that's a movie. Uh, and there's a reason I felt the same way the first time I heard the, the Radio Lab uh, piece on Matt Bai's book. Um, it, just, it just felt like a movie. Uh, so the question is, uh, how do we handle this on a human level? Uh, our, our genuine curiosity in the details of these stories and, you know, how does that come to a head with what is actually important when it comes to our job as voters? And I want to commend you guys. There's some. There's a couple really cool transitions between scenes in this movie. My favorite, and it's such a small moment, but that's when I like, know a movie's working when it's like the little things are clicking. When he makes the 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 suspicious phone call from the booth, and then right after that, you cut to J.K. Simmons doing a poker game, and he says something about a call, and he yeah, calls yeah, and gets him in yeah, trouble. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> was that is that in the screenplay? Uh, I mean, wait, was that was that was that come I up on the set? I never noticed that until right now. <laughs> really? Oh, you got to check it. You're just so genius, you don't even know it. From here on, I will 100% take credit for that. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's talk about the casting of. Uh, let's talk the casting now. You know, Hugh Jackman. Um, he brings so much to the role, and, and this you're asking him to be a little more restrained. Um, and then, and also, um, and and 
if you can if you can relay the story you shared last night where you know it was almost like a boxing the, the actors came out and said it was only like a boxing match uh well i'm here sitting next to helen astrook uh yeah. our producer and I, I think that i feel like uh half of our filmmaking is you and i sitting there in a room talking about who is going to play these people do you want to talk about that at all sure i mean <laughs> no i think i think you know i think one of the exciting things about especially about, you know, I think Jason's one of the best people at casting in the business, and one of the exciting things is taking people who you've seen before do incredible things and his ability to know that they can do something that you haven't quite seen before and utilizing the things that you have seen before. So I think Hugh is a sort of perfect Gary Hart because we have this man who, you know, by all accounts and sort of the way we show him as a real enigma. And so you take this guy who we're used to having such access to um, as this sort of, you know, as the the greatest showman, as, you know, Wolverine, seeing all these very, like, sort of... Um, those sorts of characters that are so different and, and sort of being able to utilize both like Hugh's like inherent humanity and then also the fact that he's just one of the best actors out there right now. Awesome, and, and just while you still got it, um, talk about bringing out the hum humanity of uh, Donna Rice. Mm. Um, how our collective memories, it's, you know, often we lump them in this category unfairly in your head. And what I loved about the movie is you you see her like from behind on the boat, and you, that's the image you think. But then when you actually get to meet her, you, she's so she's a fragile human, and, and lists all her credentials, and you're like, oh yeah, she's a human being too. Talk about why it was important to bring out that side. Well, I think in general, it's you know, part of what we encountered in in this story is this that so many people who did know the story had very interesting misconceptions or just very sort of specific ideas. They remembered the picture. They remembered things that were sort of very simplistic. And it's like, you know, these were people. They were dealing with their lives and every single person involved in the story had their own story going on. And I think it was really important for us to show all aspects of that and what these decisions that people were making sort of at the highest level, how that reverberated, how that affected and all of the people that it, it could affect. And just sort of in closing, um, well, speaking of Rosebud Twists, I love Tully, man. I thought Tully was so great earlier this year. Um, compared directing this to Juno from up in the air, both in visual style and um, even, even what, what doing those movies allowed, got you to the point where you could make this movie now. God, it has been a very interesting year to have these two different films uh, because they totally couldn't be uh, more different. Uh, the style is obviously very different on them. But uh, if anything, I just... It's a moment for me to stop and think about how damn lucky I am uh, that I get to tell these stories. Uh, you know, I get to work with really brilliant writers, you know, some of the best writers who are alive. Uh, and the only reason I'm capable of uh, doing these movies is because, you know, first, uh, you know, a woman named Diablo Cody, who I met over a decade ago, um, uh, and is kind of a, you know, a, uh, like a long-lost sibling, um, lets me direct her movies. Uh, and then I get to meet two guys, you know, Matt By and Jay Carson, uh, whose kind of individual careers in their previous professions are impressive uh, on their own, and, uh, and it would be, you know, thrilled to call that a day. And then they have moved so successfully uh, into screenwriting, and they brought me in on this, uh, where we got to tell a story in a world that, you know, uh, they are, you know, swimming the depths, and I am in the kiddie pool. And... Uh, and then beyond that, it's these actors. 
uh, that I get to work with a, a Charlie Theron and a Mackenzie Davis. I get to work with, you know, a Hugh Jackman and a Vera Farmiga. Uh, these are all people who make me look a lot better than I am at doing <laughs> my job um, and are a joy to work with. So, you know, honestly, uh, every filmmaker comes to the, to the table with ideas, some good, some bad, I'm the same. Uh, I just get to work with really fantastic people. And uh, for your career, I can't wait to see, like, the end of The Candidate. Uh, what now? <laughs> Thanks, guys. Indeed. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.